are continuing our series called The Unstoppable Mission of Jesus, which I love. And as Pastor Jesse reminded us last week, uh, and I, was, I know this because I was taking notes and paying attention, uh, it's a series designed to help us understand who we are as a church, who we are as LifeSpring, and where we want to be going. And two weeks ago, Pastor Dan reminded us, and I know this because I was paying attention and taking notes, that this is his mission. It's Jesus' mission. And that it's his mission, but his mission is accomplished through his church. So we've had three messages so far, and if you've been paying attention and taking notes, you would know that there are three key words that we've been covering over those three weeks. And the first one was, the first one was empowered. We are an empowered church with a bad microphone. There, there you go. Empowered. We're an empowered church. You are an empowered people. We are a courageous church. You are courageous people. And we are a faithful church. You are faithful people. But none of this is through our own work. It's all through the power of Jesus. And today we add one more word to that. Empowered, courageous, faithful today, loving. We are a loving church. You are a loving people. And that's a big word, isn't it? So before we dive into that word, before I try to take it on, will you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you today. Thank you for this day that you have made, Lord. Lord, let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is your day, Father God. Thank you for everybody who's here. Thank you for everybody who's watching online, Lord. Lord, will you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, Father? Lord, we we seek you. We seek you. We want to put you first, Lord. Our hearts want to be open to what you have to say to each and every one of us, Father God. So we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to start you off with a quote from a book. This is author Donald Miller, and this is what he wrote in his book, Searching for God Knows What. Imagine how much a man's life would change if he trusted that he was loved by God. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Imagine how much a person's life could change if they knew, if they could trust, if they could fully know that they were loved by God. Imagine all of your family members who don't know Jesus. Imagine if they came to that realization that they were truly loved by God. Imagine what a change that would make. Think back to when you first realized that you were loved by God. Maybe it came to you all at once in an instant, or maybe it took a little time for you to come to that understanding. But think back to when you came to that realization that you are loved by God. Because He's always been there, hasn't He? Jesus has always loved us, and He continues to love us still. No matter what. In Romans 8, this is what Paul tells us. And this is Paul after years of of going through trials and tribulations and hardships, shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment. This is what Paul says. He says, For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels won't. And all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or where we are, high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, 
Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. You are loved by God. And if you don't know that yet, seek him and he will answer. See, my realization that I was loved by God came back when I was in high school. It didn't happen in a church, even though I'd been raised in the church my whole life. I knew all the Bible stories. But my realization came when I was involved with a youth organization, a Christian youth organization called Young Life. And Young Life to me was so important. It was a place where I really felt accepted and valued. It felt like home, and it didn't matter if it was in a church building or somebody's house or in a gymnasium or on a retreat. It didn't matter. I always felt accepted there. And it's so important to me that if you were to ask me right now to list the ten most impactful things in my life, I would tell you that Young Life would be on that list. My involvement with Young Life. And somebody asked me the other, the other day, they said, they said, why? Why was it so important to you? And I said, well, let me tell you a story. And so this is the story that I told them. When I was a sophomore in high school, the Young Life, the greater Young Life in our area, put out an announcement that we were going to have a weekend ski trip. And this was for all of the high schools in the area. So I signed up because I like to ski. So Friday I got to the place where the buses were. There was two buses, probably 80 or 90 kids. We loaded up. We got on the buses. We went up to the mountain. We unloaded. We had dinner. And then we went into the great room. We went into this big lodge. It wasn't as big as this room, but it was probably at least half the size. It was a really good-sized room. And up front was a big stone fireplace, probably a five- or six-foot opening. They had a fire built. It was roaring. All the Young Life leaders were up front, and we all sat down, crowded in together, in front of that fireplace, 80 or 90 kids. And the main speaker got up and he said, hey, before we get started tonight, let's find out who's here. So if you're from Salinas High School, will you make some noise? And Salinas High School was over here and they went crazy. They went nuts. It was like they knew the question was coming. They were jumping up and down. They were yelling. They were screaming. They were so excited. And while all that's going on, over here, I'm sitting, and I'm freaking out. I'm having a panic attack because I knew I was the only one from my high school who had signed up for this trip. I'm 15 years old. I can't compete with that. And then he said, if you're from Pacific Grove High School, make some noise. And they were back there, and they were louder than the first high school. They went nuts. And I'm thinking to myself, is this how it's going to go? Are they going to get louder and louder and louder till they get to the last loud high school and then drop down to me? What am I going to do? I'm freaking out. What would you do? And then the third high school, yep, louder than the first two, longer than the first two. Oh, what am I going to do? And then the fourth. And now in my head, now I'm checking off high schools because I know who came and there aren't too many left. And if this guy's job is to get me to pray, it's working. Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, it's just me. Go Spartans. 
what am I going to do? And then he goes to the fifth high school and the sixth high school, and then I realize that's it. They're all gone except mine. And then he says, and if you're from. And then, I don't know, have have you ever been in a car accident? (laughs) I mean, you know you're going to get hit. And your brain knows you're going to get hit. And everything like slows down into slow motion. I mean, you see the car coming, but it's all in slow motion. And I'm hearing him say the name of my high school in slow motion. I mean, I, I'm, listen, it's Seaside High School, and I'm hearing every letter come out of his mouth. I even hear the A, which isn't even pronounced, but I hear it coming out of him. And it's he slowly, Seaside High School. And as slow as that's happening, my mind is racing twice as fast. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he finally finishes high school, and then very rapidly he says, make some noise. You're wondering what I did, huh? I I can't sneak out, by the way, because like an idiot, I sat in the front row, and and I can't make it. Make some noise. And before I could do anything, and to this day, I have no idea what I would have done. Before I could do anything, the entire Young Life leadership team went nuts. Like they were from Seaside High School. And they weren't, and they never were. But they went crazy. And they were louder, and they went longer than any other high school. They were so excited. And I just sat there with my jaw open. Like, I cannot believe this. And when they finally finished, and believe me, they were up and down in the crowd. They were like choreographed. They were going nuts. And when they finally finished, the main speaker said, we just want you all to know that Pete Wilmot came here all by himself. And we wanted to make sure that he knew that he was not alone. Isn't that awesome? Now, I've heard lots of people say negative things about Young Life. They said, oh, it's 99% fun and games and 1% Jesus. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it is 99% and 1%. But I'll tell you what I remember. I remember the 99% because it was fun. And a lot of those games were made up. I'm sure Braden makes up lots of games on Monday nights here. They were made up, but they were fun. But that's not what stands out to me. And I remember the 1%. I remember those five little five-minute messages about Jesus. I could recite some of them to you today because I still remember them. But that's not what stands out to me. What stands out to me is that people showed up for me and people cared about me and people loved me. Still to this day, I remember a conversation I had with somebody, and I'm 15, and I remember, like, why are you even talking to me? Like, I couldn't grasp that in my head. Like, I, I got nothing to offer you back. I've got no. I mean, I couldn't believe it. This person's actually interested in what I had to say. Like, they're talking to me like, is there somebody behind me that you're really talking to? But that's what I remember. I remember that love of Jesus coming through. And they didn't do it because they had to do it. They did it because they were living out the unstoppable mission of Jesus. 
They were loving people for who they were and where they were, and they were interested in those people. They were living out Philippians 2, which says this, Then make me truly happy by loving each other and agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, working together with one heart and mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others, too, in what they are doing. They were living that out. Here's another book quote for you, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this author's name, but this is what it says. There they go. You give it a shot. Yeah. He says, your love might not equate to the love of God, but it can reach out to the boundaries of heaven when your neighbor feels it. Isn't that awesome? I thought that was pretty good. So if we're supposed to be a loving church, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, if you listen to Pastor Jesse last week, and I did because I was paying attention and I was taking notes, this is what he said towards the end of his message. He said, take every opportunity to use your abilities for the glory of God to honor him. You're called to be faithful first and foremost, to love God, and then to give of yourself and your giftings to others in love. So what's love? What does the Bible say that love is? Well, a lot of you can come up with a lot of scriptures on what that means. But here's one that we hear at weddings all the time. But I wonder how many times we really slow down long enough to really see what it means and what it's supposed to say. This is from 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient and love is kind. Love is never jealous. It's, it's not envious. Love does not brag and it's not proud. It's not arrogant. It's not conceited. It's not puffed up. Love is not rude. Love is not selfish. It's not self-serving. It doesn't seek its own way. Love does not get upset with others. It's not easily angered or provoked. Boy, doesn't our world need to hear that one today? How easily we are angered and provoked today and offended. That's not love. Love does not keep a record of wrongs that have been done. Love takes no pleasure. It doesn't take any joy in evil and injustice, but it rejoices over the truth. Love protects all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Love always endures. Love never fails. I now pronounce you man and wife. Oh, wait, I went too far. Sorry. Now, I could have used a lot of Bible verses, huh? I could have used a lot of different passages to define what love is. I could have used John 15, 13. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for another friends, for our friends. Or 1 John 4, 10. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Or I could have used Romans 5, 8. But God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I could have used any of those. But I chose 1 Corinthians 13 because Paul is writing to a messy Corinthian church. Maybe he's writing to a messy Lifespring church. But that's up, that's up for you and I to decide as individuals and as a whole. If we're going to join this unstoppable mission of Jesus, we have to decide to be a loving church, a faithful church, a courageous church, and an empowered church. See, the Corinthian church was putting their faith in man and not God. They were conceited and considered themselves spiritual. They had no sorrow or shame for their wrongdoing. 
How are we doing in those areas? They were bickering amongst each other. They thought they had all the answers and didn't care to seek God's wisdom and instruction. They were rude. I hope that's not me, and I hope it's not us. They insisted on having things their way. They were jealous and envious and they, as they compared their spiritual gifts. They thought some gifts were needed and some were not. They thought some people were good to have around and others, not so much. So in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is describing attitudes and behaviors, and he's using love to explain why these are not God's ways. So from the earliest times all the way up to today, God is constantly trying to reach our hearts. And one verse I always like to use to reset my life is from Jeremiah 6. And this is what it says. It says, Yet the Lord pleads with you still. Ask where the good road is, the godly paths that you used to walk in in the days of long ago. Travel there, and you will find rest for your souls. See, if we're going to be a loving church, we need to remember at least three things. The first one is show up. Show up. I'm a big believer in showing up. Just keep showing up. If we're going to be a loving church, we have to show up. Do you remember what Pastor Dan said a couple of weeks ago? I do because, yeah, I was paying attention and taking notes. That's right. This is what he said. He said, this is his body. You want to know where Jesus is? You want to see Jesus? Come to church. Come to a community like this. So if you're watching online and you can make it, come to a community like this. This is where you'll see Jesus. In other words, go up. Paul is writing to other churches while he was in prison, and he longed to be with them. His desire was to be with them. He couldn't, but you can Show up. In our daily reading plan this week, and if you're not part of that, it's not too late to join. Sign up for our daily reading plan. In our daily reading plan on Thursday, we started reading the book of Job. And in chapter 2, Job runs into trouble, and he loses everything. Everything. Everything except his lovely wife. His lovely wife who says, encouraging to him, why don't you just curse God and die? That's all he had left. But his three friends heard about his troubles. And they came from wherever they lived to be with him. And when they showed up, they realized they could barely recognize him. And this is what we read on Thursday. Job chapter 2. So they sat down on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his pain was very great. They showed up. They didn't come with words of wisdom right away because what can you really say in those moments? No, they came as a loving church. Now later on, they're going to say some pretty stupid stuff. And they're going to keep saying some pretty stupid stuff. And it's going to get so bad that Job finally has to say to them in chapter 16, you are a miserable bunch of comforters, aren't you? All of you. But they did do a couple of things right, don't they? They showed up. They empathized with him. They spent time with him. 
And maybe you and I, maybe we can take a lesson in that. Let's show up. I don't know if you've read much about Jesus, but he showed up. He did a lot of showing up. He showed up for the guy with leprosy that Braden just read about. He showed up for the woman at the well. He showed up for the guy at the pool. Every day he shows up for you and me, whether you know it or not. He shows up every single day. And will it make a difference if you show up? You may not see it, but you have no idea how much a smile, a handshake, a hug, an I'm glad you're here, or have a really great week. You will never know how much that means to somebody. Keep showing up. Let's keep showing up as individuals and a church. So who do I need to show up for? Who do you need to show up for? And who do we need to show up for as a church? Whoever that is, let's show up. We don't have to get it perfect, but let's show up and see what happens. Let's show up and see what Jesus can do in those moments. Just keep showing up. So number one, show up. Number two, speak the truth. Speak the truth. You'll notice I didn't say speak truth, and I didn't say speak your truth. I said speak the truth. Speak God's truth. See, the trouble with social media today is that too many people have this opinion that the entire world is waiting for them to say something. And they think that because look at all my followers. But it was God who spoke the world into existence. It was Jesus who spoke and still speaks today forgiveness and redemption for a broken world. And we learn in Ephesians to speak that truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. So if we truly want to be a loving church, we have to speak the truth in love. God's truth, spoken in love, has an incredibly powerful ability to change the lives of those around us. This is one way we can take back ground from the enemy. Jesus tells us in John 8 that the truth can set us free. So have that difficult conversation with someone you need to have a conversation with. You know the one, the one that you've been putting off for far too long. Speak God's truth in love, and we will all change for the better. And I know that won't be easy. I know that's hard. But this is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. You'll notice it does not say peacekeepers. A peacekeeper likes to avoid conflict and maintain the peace that way. Peacekeepers hate rocking the boat. Peacekeepers will sacrifice their own inner peace to maintain this illusion of peace with other people. A peacemaker, on the other hand, will speak the truth in love. The Greek word for peacemaker is erenopeos, erenopeos, and here's what it means. It means bravely declaring God's terms, which makes someone whole. Isn't that powerful? Bravely declaring God's terms, which makes someone whole. So if we look at the last three key words that we were covering and the key word today, let me say it this way. Being empowered by his spirit, bravely, courageously declare God's truth, faithfully, 
to lovingly make someone whole. That's what a peacemaker is. We're not speaking the truth to win an argument. We're speaking the truth in love as individuals and as a church to help people see the wholeness and beauty and joy and peace of Jesus. That's why we speak the truth in love. So show up. Speak God's truth in love. And finally, stay humble. Stay humble. In the book of Micah, the question is asked as to what God requires of us. Maybe you've wondered yourself. Here's the initial question from Micah, chapter 6. How can we make up to you for what we've done, you ask? Shall we bow before the Lord with offerings of yearling calves? Oh, no, for if you offered him thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of olive oil, would that please him? Would he be satisfied? If you sacrificed your oldest child, would that make him glad? Then he would forgive your sins? Of course not. Some people think that God's favor, much like their own favor, can be bought or earned. We sometimes show kindness to one another because someone has said or done something to earn our good graces. But that is not living out the unstoppable mission of Jesus. That's not a loving church. In the same way, we often wrongly believe that we can offer God meaningless worship when what he truly wants is our heart. What God demands of us is not some empty ritual of playing church every Sunday and then living like the world for the rest of the week. What does God require of us then? Well, the very next verse gives us the answer. No, he has told you what he wants, and this is all it is, to be fair, just, merciful, and to walk humbly with your God. If you want to walk with God, humble yourself. If we want to be a loving church, Let's humble ourselves and walk with Jesus. Let me call the worship team back up here as I finish with this. Love does not seek its own way. So let's show up. Let's speak God's truth in love. And let's stay humble. Let me give you one more verse to close us out today. It's Ephesians 4.1. It says, I am in prison because I belong to the Lord. God chose you to be his people. So I urge you now to live the life to which God called you. Let's live that life, church. Let's be that church. Let's be the powerful, courageous, faithful, and loving church that God calls us to be. And that's on all of us. We can't, we can't pass this back to our pastors. It's on us. We have to join in with our pastors. We have to love our church. We have to love each other. And then we can go out and love other people, love our community, and love our world. But we're never going to do that if we stay within ourselves. We're never going to do that if we don't start showing up. Let's love each other, church. I know it's not easy, but we can do it because we're going to do it together. You're not on your own. You're not the only one sitting there from that high school. We're all together in this. There's people that love you and want to encourage you and be with you. Sign up for a life group if you're feeling lonely or you're feeling alone. We've got lots of them. 
There's like 8,000 life groups. Pick one. Sign up for a next level class when those show up. We're here for you. And if you need prayer today, we're going to have a prayer team right over here. So as we worship, if you want prayer, join our prayer team. Don't leave here without prayer if you need it. Humble yourself and ask for prayer. Let somebody join with you and pray with you. Amen? Okay, will you stand as we continue to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ?